a stage or in a book and I'm honest about my failures, it motivates people to, to, to come out and say what shames them, what, what they're struggling with, and that's when we get help when we come out in the open with our shame or our sin. Connection on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Missy Montgomery, and I'm thrilled to be joined over the phone today with best-selling author and pastor Jack Deere. How are you doing today, Pastor Deere? Really good, thanks. Of course. So I just really want to get started and talk about your new book, uh, Even in Our Darkness, A Story of Beauty in a Broken Life. And um, it's just so interesting because it is, you know, a powerful memoir on your life. So just before um, we kind of dive into that a little bit, why don't you, for our listeners, just kind of tell us the things that kind of you've encountered in your life and the tragedy that kind of plays a big role in this book? Well, I I come out of a traumatic home. Um, Mom and dad were at war from the time I was uh, maybe five or six years old. And my dad ended the war when I was 12 by killing himself. And he left, I was the oldest of four children, and he left a... uh, 34-year-old widow with a 10th grade education behind to care for the four of us, and everything just went south from uh, there. Alcohol, men, sexual things, um, we we sort of disintegrated, and uh, I would not, I was so reckless with my life and so angry uh, about the loss of my father that I would not have made it till 21 if the Lord hadn't intervened and, uh, and saved me when I was 17 years old. And uh, from the time I was 17 to 52, pretty much everything I touched turned to uh, gold. I had a, I became a young life leader, like my young life leader. Um, had a big young life club, went to Dallas Seminary, uh, and at 27 became a professor of Old Testament exegesis and Semitic languages at, at Dallas. At 17, I didn't know a single verse of Scripture, and at 27, I'm a professor of uh, Old Testament, can teach in Hebrew or Greek. And had a great church, uh, was pastoring a great church. At 52, uh, our second-born son committed suicide mm-hmm. and in our home in Montana, and that was uh, the turning point uh, of our life. I mean, it, it, that event divided our life into before and after. And for the next 10 years or so, we were in a cave, and Lisa, my uh, wife, struggled with opioid addiction and alcoholism. So those were the, the kind. Those were the major events that we battled, and I and I talk about those in an unsanitized way in the book. Right. And what kind of you know inspired you to write that? Like you said, in an unsanitized way, because I think a lot of times you know Christians are, especially you know pastors, kind of are perceived to have this perfect life, you know, tied up with a ribbon. So what kind of inspired you to be so raw and open in this book? <laughs> Well, you, you said it in a perfect way. I mean, we stand on stages, and, and we, we talk about uh, this, this, our version of the Christian life, mm-hmm. and it's mostly a version that doesn't exist. We don't really talk about our failures. We talk about our successes. If we talk about a failure, it's like, uh, you know, I, I took the biggest piece of pie, and my conscience smote me for days afterwards. Right. Um, so what that does, I came to see in my own ministry, what that kind of teaching and presentation does is it teaches everybody in their church to go underground with their sins. And, and that's where sin flourishes, in the darkness. And, and I learned fairly early on in my ministry that people were much more encouraged by my failures than by my uh, successes. 
And when I'm when I stand on a stage or in a book and I'm honest about my failures, it motivates people to 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 come out and say what shames them, what what they're struggling with, and that's when we get help when we come out in the open with our shame or our sin. Uh, so that's what motivated me to write this book. But uh, it's it's there's one other thing that that was a huge major event in my life. I, I probably spent the first 20 years or so of my Christian life thinking what God really wanted was a good performance out of me. He, he, what he really, really wanted was obedience, wanted, wanted me to be a good prayer, a witness, and uh, study scripture, and that sort of thing. And all that's true, but I came to see that when I put my emphasis on obeying God, that's when I was least obedient. Hmm. And, and I, at about 20 years into my Christian life, I discovered that what he really wanted was a friend. You know, Jesus said in John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants, but friends. You've been my servants. You're going to continue to be my servants. But I want us to move to a higher level of love. I, I want you, I want to be able to enjoy you like a best friend enjoys his best friend. I want you to feel my pleasure in you. And when I started pursuing a friendship with God, I, I became actually a softer person, more obedient, and I tried to keep that the main, the, make that the main thing, and keep it the main thing. Enjoying God, feeling His pleasure. When I feel His pleasure, that and, and His love for me, that's when I'm most obedient. And you talk, you know, about your walk with Christ and becoming a friend of Jesus, and. So, I mean, you go through all this traumatic events, you know, through birth until even now, and a lot of people, that can cause them to kind of stray, you know, from God and kind of go downhill. So what kind of kept your focus on God during this these difficult times? Uh, the short answer is God. I, mm-hmm. I think everything if, everything comes by the grace of God. If, if, if I walk with God, it's, it's not because I'm a good follower. It's because he's a great leader. And he supplies the grace necessary for me. So the, the foundational reason, the ultimate reason that the suicide of my son didn't cause me to give up on God was, was God himself. He held me and, and took us through that. On a kind of you know, experiential basis, I mean, I'd already tried everything before I came to God. Sex, uh, after I came to God, I got seduced by money a number of times, um, a little bit of fame, uh, so I, I tried everything else, and the only thing that's ever worked for me has been uh, God. So why would I leave the only person that had the, had the power and the love to heal me? So I never really thought about uh, leaving him as, mm-hmm. as, as great as the pain has been. Um, and, and eventually, he will heal even that pain. We had people tell us after we lost our son, they said, uh, you'll never get over this. You'll never get over this pain. And I know what they meant. They were trying to say, I can't imagine any greater pain than this. But every time I heard those words, you'll never get over this, I, I flinched inwardly. I just did not want to think that one reckless act of my second-born son would maim my soul forever. And and I can tell you today, um, it's been uh, almost 18 years since he took his life, That and his name is Scott, that all the sting of Scott is gone, all the sting of his death is gone, and nothing but the sweetness of Scott remains, and the, the longing and the knowledge that I'll be reunited with him not in the not-too-distant future. Right, wow. That's really beautiful. And, 
you know, that's a good segue to this next question because, you know, we can talk about the pain and tragedy, but, you know, you also in the book, you talk about uh, the beauty. So talk a little bit about what, you know, the unexpected beauty that you saw through experiencing these losses. Um, There's a great, great verse in the uh, Old Testament. It's Psalm 27, 4, where David says, um, uh, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That verse is incredibly important because David uh, was, uh, of all the saints, David was the greatest prayer that ever lived. So 3,000 years later, we're still singing and praying his prayers, and that can't be said of any other literature in the world. Uh, Two billion people are still praying David's prayers today. And this great, majestic friend of God boiled all of his prayers down to a single prayer. I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Um, So that's got to be important, and, and every time... I see beauty in one of my friends. It makes me love my friend more. So seeing the beauty of the Lord is is one of the things that increases our love for the Lord. And the, the philosophers, they, the philosophers and theologians, they debate on beauty uh, uh, have for centuries. But basically, beauty is what dazzles us when we experience it or see it, like your first sunset over the Pacific Ocean or the first time you hear Beethoven's uh, Ninth Symphony. And so. Seeing the beauty of the Lord is having an experience of his power, wisdom, or love in a way that just dazzles us, takes our uh, breath away. And uh, I started praying for that. Years ago, I started praying for that. I started, and I, in fact, it's what I pray in the morning when I wake up. Lord, let me see your beauty today. And he has so many ways of uh, invading your, your life and doing that for you. I'll just give you one little example. So it's uh, it was September a couple of years ago, and I'm with my uh, two-year-old granddaughter in, in St. Louis. We come up from Fort Worth to visit, and we're leaving the house, getting ready to drive back to Fort Worth, and she's holding my hand as we walk to the door. She's, she's two years, four mm-hmm. months old, and, and her parents are walking with us, my son and daughter-in-law. And she, and she holds my hand, and she says, uh, glad to have you guys. And we all just burst out living. She's two years, four months old. She goes, glad to have you, Kai. <laughs> and then, and then uh, so we all laugh, and then I get to the door, kiss her goodbye. She stands at the screen door, and she's not going to go away until uh, she sees the car drive away. And just as I put my hand on the door to open the car door, she yells out, be safe, guys. And, and I just, I, I'm still laughing when I get inside the car, and I'm thinking, she's two years old, four months, and she's brilliant. She uh, says exactly the right words in exactly the right context, and she doesn't have a clue what they mean. And, and, and so I was thinking that and laughing that, trying to get the key in the ignition, and the Lord says to me in my mind, these words form in my mind, you do the same thing, and I think it's adorable. That and is... I, just burst, I burst into tears. Yeah, it's like... He, he, he's so God is so brilliant. He takes the little darling of my heart, just a little simple thing like that, and then puts me in her, her place, but take, takes her place and shows that's how he feels about me. And, and I'm doing it right now. I'm, I'm talking way beyond my knowledge of God, way, way beyond my knowledge, but it doesn't offend him at all. 
and I'll always talk way beyond my knowledge until I stand in his presence and behold him like he is and become like the Son of God. Wow, that is just so well said. And, you know, especially kind of using your granddaughter to portray that. That was just, you know, a great illustration. And, you know, again, we talk about the beauty and the tragedy. And, you know, you speak about that in your memoir. But what is something you want people to take away from this? Yes, it's your life story. And it's how you kind of overcome things. So how can they apply what you've been through to their lives? Uh, I, I had a great sentence that came to me a few years ago, and it was in the book, but I think it's on the, it lies on the cutting floor uh, now. And here, here was the sentence. I've had pain I did not deserve. I've never had pain I did not need. Wow. So, so, one of the message, I, so one of the things I tell people all the time today, I said, if you want to be good friends with God, make friends with your pain. That pain that's come to us is not an accident. It's, it's permitted by a loving, wonderful Father to take us to a place in Him. We've told Him we want to go, but there's no other way we could get to that place except by this, by, by this pain. So there's a great verse in Lamentations 3.33. It says, God does not grieve or afflict the sons of men from His heart. That's the literal translation in Hebrew. It's never in his heart, in his affections, to cause us pain. He doesn't enjoy our, our pain. Right. The only reason he does it is to get us to a place in him, a, a place of greater love, of feeling more of his affection, and there was no other way to do it except through that pain. That's the way I process my pain. So, and it's, it's really New Testament. Uh, you know, James in 1-2 says, count it all joy when you encounter different trials, because that trial is is filtered by heaven to take you to a better place in God. Well said. And uh, Pastor Deer, you know, for our listeners that, you know, are very well intrigued and they want to pick up your book, let us know where they can pick up Even in Our Darkness, because I know it has been recently released. So just tell us a little bit about where they'll be able to purchase that. Oh, it's on Amazon. It's in Barnes & Noble. Uh, this this week, March 6th, it was released. So Zondervan shipped it to Christian bookstores. It's, it's all over right now. And, uh, but the, the quickest place is probably Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Perfect. And, you know, again, we like to close out our show in uh, prayer. So, uh, Pastor Deer, do you mind uh, closing us out on prayer so that all of our listeners are able to see um, the beauty today that God has for us? Yeah, I'd be, ha- I'd be happy to do that. Dear Father, thank you so much for the love that you have for us. I pray for everyone hearing uh, this podcast that you would, uh, I, I pray, John seventeen twenty six. that you would grant us a work of the Holy Spirit to love the Son of God like you love him. Show us your beauty today, Father, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And you've been listening to Jack Deere, pastor and author of his new book, Even in Our Darkness, A Story of Beauty in a Broken Life. I'm Missy Montgomery, and this has been Charisma Connection. Regent University is one of the fastest growing universities in the nation, experiencing 21% growth from summer 2016 to summer 2017. This fully accredited university offers associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees within an innovative learning environment that includes the option of enrolling solely on campus in Virginia Beach, Virginia, 100% online, or you can use a blend of both. Since its establishment in 1978, 
Regent has equipped 23,000 alumni from 125 countries to become accomplished professionals. Guided by a mission of Christian leadership to change the world, the school prepares students with the knowledge to excel and the faith to live with purpose. To learn more or to request information, just visit learn.regent.edu. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.